You're listening to New Life Church in Richmond Hill, Georgia. Testify, and uh, in this series, we have been talking about just how uh, Jesus makes us victorious and overcomers. Uh, our anchor verse that we've been looking at comes out of Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Uh, Revelation 12, 11. And you put that up there for me, Chandler. Uh, basically says, and they conquered, they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved their lives, not uh, love, they loved not their lives even unto death. And so we've been talking about this. How do we become overcomers? How are we made overcomers? And uh, we've looked at a lot of different places, and this morning we're going to continue in that. Uh, if you've got your Bible, I want us to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17 is where we're headed. But before we get there, um, I've been reading a book, and this book that I've been reading is um, it's basically the history of the 1893 World's Fair. 1893 World's, World's Fair. 1893 World's Fair was uh, held in Chicago. And Chicago, uh, they wanted to make it the biggest and best World's Fair ever. And uh, the previous World's Fair was held in Paris. And Paris, when they held their World's Fair, a guy by the name of Gustave Eiffel built this tower over a thousand feet high. And so it made it just headlines all over the world. It became one of the, the, the tallest structure in the world at that time. Uh, and, and so Chicago felt the pressure. And their whole motto was this, we have to out-Eiffel Eiffel, right? You ever been there? You have to outdo your neighbor. You got to keep up with the Joneses. This is keeping up with Eiffel. And so Chicago felt they had to keep up with Eiffel. We have to out-Eiffel Eiffel. And so they had engineers and architects submitting plans to, uh, for structures of all kinds. Most of them were tower structures. Uh, but there was one guy who, who actually got the bid. Uh, to create something. It wasn't a tower. And in 1893, a guy by the name of George Ferris uh, created a thing that you might know as the Ferris wheel, right? And the Ferris wheel that he created was this massive Ferris wheel. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it wasn't as tall as the Eiffel Tower, but it was, it, this Ferris wheel went 264 feet into the air. And so that's like 24 stories high. They, that's, that's pretty tall, right? Any of you guys, you have trouble riding a Ferris wheel today, even the little ones, right? You're not a big fan of the Ferris wheel. All right, so this Ferris wheel was massive. Uh, each car uh, that was on it, and there were 36 cars on this Ferris wheel, each car could hold 60 people in the car. So when this Ferris wheel was loaded up, there were over 2,100 people on this Ferris wheel at one time. You want to talk about uh, some nerves? You want to talk about, yeah, some of you guys are like, nope, nope, I'm not doing that, wouldn't do that. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, uh, the guys who created this, so George Ferris and his team, of engineers and uh, another gentleman by the name of W.F. Grinnell uh, specifically uh, helped engineer this this marvel, this masterpiece. And uh, so W.F. Grinnell, when they 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 did a uh, what they called the first turn, and so they did the first turn and they let it go around uh, and it passed that test. And so then they had to make the test of taking passengers on it. 
and, uh, and, and, and George Ferris didn't even ride it the first time. His wife was the first one, right? <laughs> there you go, ladies. How about that? <laughs> you know, uh, Miss Ferris was one of the first ones to ride it, and his lead engineer, uh, W.F. Grinnell, uh, got on it. And W.F. Grinnell, in his, his memoirs, he writes that, uh, yeah, he was very nervous about that, getting on, because it would creak and it would groan, all this metal uh, just just coming together. And he said he was nervous uh, that it, there was some fear in him about getting on this giant that he had created. And today I want to talk to you a little bit about fearing the giants that we create. Uh, there are times in our life that we create our own giants, and we're fearful of them. And so this morning, I want us to look at that. I want us to look at, at how we face the giants. And so the giants that we create in our own lives can also create great fear. So let's look at a giant story. 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, many of you probably know this. I mean, even if you didn't grow up in church, you've probably heard about David and who? David and Goliath, right? This, this side sounded much. Do you guys know this story? Okay. Y'all were quiet, right? David, if you're not, we're going to tell you about it this morning. Spoiler alerts. Here we go. Uh, David and Goliath. David and, Go- David and Goliath. It's, the, it's the, the quintessential underdog story, right? That uh, David, this little pipsqueak of a kid, takes on this warrior, this, this giant, this, this individual who is a soldier. He's been trained for battle. He has all the, uh, the, the, the battle array, the, the armor, the, the weaponry, uh, and then you got this little kid who just came out of the field from watching his daddy's sheep, right? And he's, he's coming in uh, to, to get into the mix. Well, there's two armies. The reason that we, we have this face-off is because there's two armies. You have the army of the Philistines, and you have the army of Israel, and they are facing off in this valley of Elah. And in the Valley of Elah, they've come together, and you've got two armies kind of separated. And uh, they would come out, and they would almost taunt each other, right? And so each day, Goliath, he, he's coming out. This giant comes out, and he taunts them. He says, you can't take me on, basically. He says, you're weak, you're small. I'm going to feed you to the birds and to the dogs. And so uh, you're, you're, you're going to be nothing once we're done with you. And he keeps throwing out these taunts. And everyone's scared. Everyone in Israel is scared. And so David shows up. His dad sends him to the, to the battle with some food for his brothers. And all his older brothers are there. And they're part of Israel's army. And so David shows up about the time that Goliath is stepping out to basically assault their, uh, assault their, their army. And, and just, uh, just he's talking trash, right? Anybody, you talk trash or you've had trash talk to you, it just makes you mad, right? And so he's, he's going out, he's talking trash. This is where we pick up the story. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 23. Um, this is what we find. It said, And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, and that's one of the cities. There were five cities. It was called the Pentopolis. And the Pentopolis was five cities, and they were city-states, uh, that made up the Philistine nation, all right? So there's five of them. And Goliath, uh, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. He kept talking trash. And David heard him, this little kid, basically. 
And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And I want to stop right there. And this is the first thing I want to let you know. As long as we run from our giants, we will never overcome them. As long as we run from our giants, we'll never overcome those giants in our life. Well, as long as you run, you won't overcome. You can kind of keep that in your head. As long as you're running away, you're never going to overcome that thing. And so at some point, we've got to stop running. At some point, we've got to face up these giants that are in our life. But this is where Israel was at at this time. They were not ready. They were not prepared to face this giant. And so they kept running away. Every time he would step out, they would run away. And so we have to make sure that we're going to be a people who, if we're going to be overcomers, overcomers face the giants. Let's go to 1 Samuel again, chapter 17, verse 32. Let's go down to verse 32. And it said, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Basically, he said he's calling out. And they would have this um, almost like a duel so that the armies wouldn't have to fight. They would have a duel between the two champions and two, the two strongest people of the army would basically come out and fight each other. And that's what that word champion, their champion or their duelist. That's what it really means in the, uh, in the original language. This guy who was willing to take on the hero of Israel. Who is that going to be? Who's going to be the man who would step up? Who's going to be the warrior that would step up? Which is really interesting because it wasn't uh, a, you know, one of their warriors. It was a kid who stepped out. And David said, I'll, I'll do it. I'll step out. I'll go. So let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, this is King Saul now, he says to David, as like the rest of us probably would have been thinking, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. He's been fighting for a long time. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of the mouth. And, as, and if it rose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. Will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you, right? Basically, Saul's like, all right, dude, you fill in your oats. Go, and may God be with you because you're going to need him. But I love the perspective that David has, right? David's got the perspective. He's like, listen, this guy's not just stepping out and, and calling out Israel's army. He's not just calling us a bunch of weaklings. He's defying God. That's really who the enemy is here. That's really who he's going against, and he doesn't even realize what he's doing. So this enemy is stepping in a bigger fight than what he's realizing. He's not fighting against Israel's army. He's defying God. And that's how we have to first look at things, that there's a warfare that is being waged, and it is being waged against us and our families and who we are as people. But that enemy is fighting not only against us, he really is fighting against God. As long as we are God's people, as long as we stand under God's authority, as long as we are hidden in Christ, he fights against God. Now listen, you can take, you can take him on in yourself if you want to. I do not recommend it. 
I do not recommend you fighting him in your own strength, in your own wisdom, in your own power, in your own intellect, because you're not strong enough or smart enough to do it. I'll just go ahead and tell you. None of us are. That enemy is big, but our God is bigger. And that's what we have to understand, that we have to be willing to face these giants. We have to be willing to, uh, if we're going to want to, if we want to be people who overcome, we've got to stand firm against giants. See, David's courage to face big giants started with his ability to face little lions. That's where, that's where it started. David's ability to stand against big giants started with his ability to stand against little lions. And there are little lions that me and you face every day. There are things that come against us every day, and we have to handle the little things in life. See, our big wins often start out as small choices. And we have to understand this, that what are the small things that we need to take care of today? See, the Song of Solomon, and you can put this up there, Chandler. The Song of Solomon says this in uh, verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. Did I give it to you? I did give it to you. There it is. Catch for us. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. And, and, and so what does this mean? That um, the little foxes, they're not tall enough to reach the grapes. They want the grapes, but they're not tall enough to reach the grapes. And so what they would do is the little foxes would go and start gnawing at the vine. And they would gnaw at the trunk of the vine. And so when they would take the vine out, then they would get the grape cluster. And so it would create great damage that if these foxes, if you didn't put up a fence, if you didn't protect against these little foxes, these little foxes could destroy something that you've been working on for the last 12 to 15 years. Think about that. You have poured 12 to 15 years of your life into something, and now these little foxes are coming in. They're destroying it. They're destroying that work. Now think about this. What is the thing that you've invested in? What is the thing that you, you've invested that kind of time and that kind of, uh, that kind of effort into? Maybe it's your marriage, your family. What is the thing that, that we look at and we say, what is very valuable to us? And see, sometimes we neglect the little things. It's at times we neglect doing the small things. And when we let the cracks happen in our life of neglecting our family and neglecting our children and neglecting the things that maybe are just little things, you know, it's, ah, that's not a big deal. You know, we're just, I'm just going to kind of gloss over it. The Bible says this, it's those little foxes that spoil the vine. And we have to be willing to take care of these little foxes and these little lions and these little bears because if we don't, we're not going to be ready to take on the big giants. If we don't take care of the small things first, we can't take care of the large things later. And so David's courage to face big giants started with his ability to face little lions. There's a guy by the name of Mark Winslet. He is the, the director of counseling for a ministry called Foundry Ministries that, that deals with um, addictions and uh, habits and just overcoming um, these, these addictions and habits. This is what he says about little foxes. He says, little foxes represent the small things we often ignore, the little things, the details that go unchecked, things that we refuse to deal with. He says, that's what the little foxes are. It's those things that just kind of run through our life unchecked. He, said, he goes on, he says, the conversation goes something like this. 
I know I ought to deal with my fill-in-the-blank, you know, with things like anger, lack of accountability, my foul mouth, selfishness, negative attitude, my smoking, my diet, my unhealthy relationships. What, are the, what is the fill-in-the-blank that I just name a lot for you, right? He says, the conversation goes, I know I ought to deal with my fill-in-the-blank, but at least I'm not shooting heroin anymore. And he says, this is... This is, then this is a counselor. He, he sees people come through all the time, and he says, this is how relapse happens. He's like they, they justify letting the small things run through their life, and what it's doing, it sets them up to fall to a bigger giant. And, and so it's important for us that we look at these small foxes, these small foxes that create big problems. He goes on, he says this, how many times has, if you knew how far I'd come, has been used to dismiss a friend, a counselor, a family member, a pastor trying to help someone in recovery recognize and deal with their little foxes. If you only knew how far I come, that's great. That's awesome. See, there are small things in our life that will take us out. There are small things in our life if we're not careful with, they'll wind up becoming the big things and the big issues in our life. See, big wins are preceded by small choices. Big wins are preceded by small choices. Sometimes it's the choice to get up in the morning and, and do what you're supposed to do. Sometimes it's the, it's the small things of getting up and creating and saying, I'm, I'm not going to, to get off this routine. I'm not going to get off this habit that I'm trying to start, these good habits, these good routines. It may seem small, but it can be huge in setting you up to be in the place where you need to be to fight the big battles. So these Big wins are preceded by small choices. Unchecked issues will lead to unhealthy choices. Unchecked issues will later on lead to unhealthy choices. But see, this is what David said. He says, listen, I've been, pre- I've been preparing my, myself for this. He's like, so king, don't you worry. I'll take on this giant because I've been fighting little foxes. I've been fighting little lions. I've been fighting little bears. And it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm good enough in myself to fight a big giant, but my God is. And this is what I want us to read in the rest of the story. 1 Samuel chapter 17, let's start in verse 38. Verse 38, it says, And then Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And then David said to Saul, I can't go in these. He's like, dude, this is your clothes. I can't wear your armor. I can't wear your suit. You know, and sometimes we're always trying to do it in somebody else's stuff, right? You know, I can't, I can't live off of somebody else's testimony. I really kind of have to make it on the testimony that God's wanting to, to, to bring in my life. And he said, I tried to go in vain, for he had not tested them. And then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And so David put them off. And then he took his staff from his hand. And chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he appeared, and he approached the Philistine. Isn't that great? I love it. He said, I got to take all the stuff off. I can't move in this. I can't work in this. This is not what I'm used to. This is not how I fought those other battles. This is not the routine. I can't keep your routine. I got to keep the routine that got to set me on here. And this is how I fought these these small things, and this is how I'm going to have to fight this big giant. And so he goes and he takes the things that he is, he's been honing his skills on. 
He knows his sling. He knows his pouch. And it's interesting to me. We always, I don't know, you've, maybe you've heard people say, why did he choose five smooth stones? He only needed one. And sometimes I've heard people say, well, Goliath had five brothers, you know. This is interesting. I, and I told you this at the beginning, that the Philistines, um, it was a nation, basically a people of five city-states. And there were five cities that represented the Philistines. And I began to think about it. I said, that's interesting. Now, Chandler, did I, did I give you the uh, scripture in Leviticus? Can you put that up there? And I don't know if David was remembering this. I don't know if David was just calling back to his, his, his knowledge of the Torah. And, but we pick up here, and it says here in Leviticus, it says, five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. And I don't know if David was saying, you know, God's already told me that, that I can be an overcomer. God's already told me what five can do with a hundred and what a hundred can do with, with, with 10,000. And so I, I got to think that he's calling back on God's word. He's, he's kind of re- remembering what God's already said. And sometimes we have to do that. We have to be encouraged about what God has already done. And be confident about God, what God will do. We, we do. We have to be encouraged about what God has done and remind yourself of who God is and what he's already done. Many of you, you've already seen where God's brought you through. Has God done anything for anybody in here? Has God brought you through? Have you seen a miracle? Have you tasted how, uh, some, a little bit of what it means to be an overcomer? So if you've already seen what God can do, what more can God do in your life? And so that's us. We're saying, I am going to uh, just recount what God has done. And I'm going to be confident about what God can do again and even more. And this is where he's at. So you never compare the size of your giant to yourself. You always compare the size of your giant to the size of your God. Never compare the size of your giant to yourself. You always compare the size of your giant to God. God's God's bigger than any giant will ever face. And David walked out on that battlefield and uh, said, David clothed in all this clothes. He said, I can't do this. And the Philistines moved forward, verse 41, uh, verse 41, and the Philistines moved forward and came near David and with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he had disdain for him, for he was a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistines said, to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks, right? It starts talking trash again. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I don't know about you, but that just gets me, gets me just kind of wound up every time I hear it. You can come to me with whatever weapon you want to come against me with, but all I need is the name of Jesus. All I need is the power of Christ. All I need is who God is to go before me. Now, for me, I have to remind myself of that because a lot of times my enemies can try to, you know, they try to psych me out. But I have to remind myself of who God is. And so he comes, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. 
that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and a spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And David stepped out, and it only took one stone. He slung that stone from his pouch. He slung that stone from that sling, and it says it hit, hit uh, uh, Goliath in the forehead and said he fell down dead. And then David went and took Goliath's sword, took, his own, took Goliath's own sword and cut Goliath's head off and said the Philistines went to running. And, he, and David, just this little kid who knew that God had already made him an overcomer. Remember we talked about the ripple effects of overcoming? This is what the ripple effect is. When you're an overcomer, a lot of times that can ripple out to your family. A lot of times that's inspiration, that's motivation for someone else to see it because they say, you overcome, maybe God will do that for me. Absolutely God will do that for you because he wants you to be victorious. He wants you to be an overcomer. He wants you to trust him. And so we have these stories, we have these words, and we have stories in our own church today. And I've been sharing a story with you every week. And I want to share one more story with you this week. Kyle Whitty came in, and maybe you don't know Kyle, and Kyle's here this morning, comes to early service. I'd love for you to get to know Kyle, but Kyle Whitty came in this week, and he shared his story, and I want you to watch this story. My name is Kyle. I'm 30 years old. I got a family. I got uh, four kids, well, five kids, and uh, a wife um, named Jen. She's super amazing, good woman. Um, the biggest challenge I faced was uh, we lost our daughter, and um, it, it was shortly after birth. Everything went good. You know, nine months. Um, me and my wife were having a, a genuinely good time doing everything that everybody else did. Uh, you know, the the gender reveal parties, the celebrations, the gifts, the the praying, the happiness, and and uh, it was all taken away from us uh, about 20 minutes after she was born. Uh, her umbilical cord had torn, and um, she lost blood, and we couldn't get her back. So, um, part of that experience was me and my wife watching a good friend of ours at the fire department who was there for clinicals, um, watching our, our daughter try to be resuscitated but to no avail and, and to me um, I just thought why you know I just thought why um, anyway shortly after we lost Rylan is her name shortly after lost her I focused on healing my wife so I quit the fire department and I joined active duty um, we served active duty for about six years Again, everything seemed to be going correct there. I was in the military, and I mean, I partied more than most people, I guess. Uh, got into some trouble here and there, but it was it was all fun and games, you know, typical military thing. And um, but I was was starting to drink pretty heavy, um, you know, kind of neglecting my two kids at the time. Um, and then, you know, I came back. Uh, I came back from Afghanistan. I think a, a switch. But when I came home, I struggled a lot. I struggled with, I mean, night terrors. I struggled with um, anger. I struggled with everything. But the one thing I didn't do was I didn't lean into God at all. I still believed. I knew He was there. I didn't care. My wife, she 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 got 
upset like I think any sane person would and put her foot down and said, this is over. I mean, I'm, I'm a guy that's, I'd wake up in the morning, I'd have a drink with my coffee after we worked out. I would go into work like that, maybe a couple shots deep. I'd, I'd be at work during lunch, we'd have a beer. I'd go home, before I went home, sometimes I'd have a beer. And then when I got home, it depends on what I had to do next day, but typically I'd be drinking from the time I was home till I went to sleep. This went on for a long time, and Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays were party days for everybody in the military. So those days, you just, I can't remember half of those days. Um, you know. So anyways, we came to this area, and uh, I remember I was doing good. I was totally sober, everything was going fine, and. We hadn't been going to church down here that regularly yet or anything, but we were doing our devotionals. Everything was as picture perfect as it could be. I was still struggling with some things, you know. I think we all do. Um, but, you know, I wound up slipping up again. I had one beer. I'm sitting down and I'm looking around. Everything's, for me, everything's golden. I was, I had it handled again. Kyle had it handled. Nobody else could do it for me. I was doing it. I looked around, we were at a restaurant, I looked around and everyone else was drinking a Coke and I had to have a Dos Equis. I had no idea why. I probably finished half that drink before I was like, I'm done. And I stood up and I left. I left all my friends there. My wife made a comment, it was that night or the night after about getting actual, like going to get help. So I, I started with AA um, and through AA, God gave me this tool of AA. I sat down with people that struggled just like me, that had been through lots of uh, hardships. They were kind of self-induced, let's be honest here, but it's a, it's a, it's a struggle, it's a disease that grips some of us, um, addiction in general. And um, so I sat down with these people and it led me to focus on my 12 steps. And part of our 12 steps is giving our will over to God. And you think you've done that, right? Well, I've done that, I believe in God, right? You know, I, well, Jesus is my Savior. I was baptized when I was 12, so I've, you know, I've given up my will to God, but have you? You know, sitting down and making a list of people you've hurt through your time of recovery, is, it's embarrassing, man. When you start reading the stuff that you've done to others, and you're reading that to another man, I mean, you tear up. And then after that man looks at you and says, okay, now start calling these people. Like, well, wait a minute, I just sign up for this, you know. But um, it humbled me. The one thing I realized through my 12 steps was that God had, had my back the whole time. The whole time God had my back. Like we'd pass this church every day and we made a joke. Well, we, there's our home church. We need to go to that church. And we just never did it. You know, for whatever reason, we passed every day. And um, finally, we started coming to new life. And this has been an awesome experience and a great family to be around. Yeah, I'd absolutely consider myself an overcomer. I mean, but the thing is, it, I'm going to say the same thing I said before, that I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm the overcomer. I did it because it wasn't me. It wasn't me. God gave me the tools, and I just finally opened the toolbox. Instead of standing there staring at it saying, do something, you know, kicking it, do something. So, but yeah, I would say that I'm an overcomer through Jesus. So what would you say to someone who's, got the same struggle. I'd say, I like saying it like this, pray out and reach out. We can't handle it on ourselves. We can't, we can't do this on our own, period. 
mother, father, brother, sister, best friend, daughter, son. It doesn't matter who we lose. It's, it's hard to lose anybody. Even if somebody's sitting in the pew next to you at church, right in that chair next to you, you're going to miss them. I'm telling you right now. When they're just not there anymore, it hits people. And the thing is, if you just hide yourself in the closet, say, I can handle this myself at some point, it's going to get you. And, and guess what? That sunshine that you're missing on is God. So I guess the only thing I'd say is anyone struggling, man, again, pray out and reach out. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, Kyle. I want you to stand with me this morning because um, we want to pray for you. And we're going to sing a song. We're going to close out here. You've been listening to New Life Church in Richmond Hill, Georgia. For more information regarding New Life, please visit our website at newliferh.com.